So, as you can see, the situation is critical and the client needs a swift and certain intervention. And most importantly, a discreet intervention. This must not be traceable back to the client. We don't need to know the details. We'd prefer not to know. But if you accept the job, send word back to us via encrypted courier. Half the credits will be transferred then, the other half plus whatever you appropriate from the target of yours after the mission is a success. Good luck, Captain. We're counting on you and your crew. My word, Captain. Sounds like a heap of trouble that last guy into. Aye, a heap. Lots of heap of trouble. Upon my word. Aye. Desperate men with a desperate mission. Paying desperate money. Oh, so desperately. So I'll send word back through then. We're on the job. Anchors away, me lad. I believe that, Jones. Avast there, Pete. Stay your insubordinate hands. You'll not be answering no call before I says so. But, Captain, right off I figure the ROI on this venture will be well above last quarter's average. And we're run fresh out of offsetting tax credit losses. R- right you are, Pete. Plus, we got a credit balance burning a hole in the CapEx account. Oh, and... quiet! One more word out of the two of you and I'll be... Ah, oh, there we go again. Now, Captain, we've been over this time after time. Stow that jabbering! If you'll let me finish, I were saying... One more word and I'll be forced to mark you down a level on your quarterly performance reviews. Oh, blimey. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's all right then, isn't it, Pete? Uh, well, I suppose I didn't interrupt you, Captain. Begging your pardon, sir and all. There now, that's more like it. Not so lippy now, are you? Now that I've got the red pen pressed right up against your bonus check. The ink collecting in a delicate teardrop on the nib, ready to run like fresh blood over the micro-printed uh, security mm, paper. Uh, begging your pardon, sir. You're, uh, you're rhapsodizing again. Man, at around the point, he thinks. Uh, shut it! All right. As men of fortune like us know, those in dire straits are quick to resort to their coin, especially when two things run short, their courage or their cunning. So... If we're to part this pretty purse that has gravitated toward our greedy grasps, a conniving captain has to consider if the catching comes from the fortitude of the foolhardy or the folly of the foolish. Hmm. Uh, well, um... Well, well, boys, what say ye? What were the question? Were there even a question? Oh, for criminy's sake, I swear, everything's a chore with you lot. It's a stodgy old catalog company they want us to raid, and they're paying a fortune like to make old King Midas blush. Half in advance, all expenses up front, a non-refundable retainer. The back end is pure gravy. Like taking the candy from a wee baron. Oi, plus any appropriations. Plus appropriations. So, the question is, are we too brave, or are they too stupid? Oh, right. Oh, wait, I don't get it. Here, Pete, I, th- I, think what, I think what the captain is saying is that this ain't no job normally given to the likes of us. Captain here thinks that there's treachery afoot, or maybe incompetence. Well, I hope it's incompetence. I vote for incompetence. <laughs> right you are, Pete. Treachery tends to require replacing damaged gear well in advance of its full depreciation cycle. Stop hype down, Jones. There ain't no voting either way. If we're going to take this job, we'd better run at it like the devil himself is chasing us after we picked a Parsons pocket. Better be leaving me on the ship then, Captain. I won't do much running, what with me peg leg and all. <sighs> I think the Captain is just waxing metaphorical again, Pete. Best we go in thinking it's a double cross and a slouch job, right, sir? Right you are, Jonesy. Now, here's me dastardly plan. 
Greeting sits and saves your tune to the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 37 and was recorded live on September 6th and made available for download September 9th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Tony. And I'm Jeff. What do we have this week, Jeff? In this week's Squawk Box, breaking news. We learned that space is big. Really, really, really big. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest delays to Arena Commander 0.9, and Around the Verse Episode 12. In Nuggets for Nuggets, we continue learning about our interstellar neighbors with the T-Baron. And finally, we tune in the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and Sivs, we are always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is a labor of love, but we look great on a CV or resume. We've added a new feature to our website, guardfrequency.com, a donate button. That's right, after six months of clockwork releases-ish, trips to Austin and LA, and plans for a trip to Manchester, and of course the very frequent detour into lunacy, we're finally confident enough to throw our hat down on the pavement and let you throw a few dollars in. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it is nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We wish to thank the folks that have already chipped in, and we hope you consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better a show we can make. That takes care of housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. We're switching normal. Hey, Peter, Peter, Peter. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box. I'm still a bit gun-shy about my Squawk Box karma. Scorpion seems to be doing okay after last week, but just to be sure, I'm going to cover something that is so mind-bogglingly huge, we have to resort to speaking Hawaiian in order to describe it. Laniakea. Laniakea, say it with me. It roughly translates to immense or immeasurable heaven, and it's where we live. Well, we meaning our solar system and a few million billion of its closest friends. See, it wasn't too long ago the largest extragalactic structure astronomers could identify was called the Virgo Supercluster. That's a region that includes about a thousand galaxies, a measly few dozen million light years across. But that's not good enough for astronomer Brent Tully. Oh no, no. After observing the red shifts of thousands of galaxies we've identified, he's been able to describe an area of a billion light years wide containing 100 quadrillion solar masses. Laniakea. Laniakea? Yeah, something like that. Here's the kicker. The way he described the limits of this immense region was that all the observable mass in this super, super cluster was attracted towards an identifiable region in deep, deep space. Anything not attracted that way was defined as extraclustular. That's my word. I don't know if that's an actual word. Funny thing. He was able to identify a number of extraclustular galaxies, which means that we're not too far away from observing and identifying other super, super clusters containing more thousands of galaxies 
more billions of light years across with more quadrillion solar masses. Okay, I, my brain hurts. I have to take a break now. Just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving <laughs> at 900 miles an hour. That song is going to need another verse now. Yes, it is. Like at least like maybe two more verses. I don't think he got as far out to the super clusters. Uh, I don't think he got as far out to even Virgo. It's interesting to speculate uh, and contemplate because in contemplation, you realize that you're nothing more than a single atom are revolving around some nucleus somewhere in the grand scheme of things. And all the wars and all the conflict and everything out there is meaningless. What more can I say? Yeah, it, it, you talk about the universe, right? It's like, oh, it's the universe. It's indescribably huge, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, actually, we're starting to put numbers on how indescribably huge it is, and we're having to make up new words to describe how indescribably huge it is. So we have to, like, borrow Hawaiian words to talk about how immeasurably immense it, it is. If you guys aren't fans of Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, he writes for Slate and occasionally Discover Magazine, go find him on the internet because he digs up all kinds of fun stuff like this. But, man, I, I read this and it's just like, are you, we can we can now, we tiny people around a tiny rock, around a tiny sun and some backwater galaxy somewhere, we can actually talk intelligently about the structure of thousands and thousands of galaxies spread over a billion light years and say, yeah, we know where all that kind of stuff is and we know what's going on. The numbers are genuinely mind-blowing, though. A hundred quadrillion. <laughs> We're able to detect thousands of galaxies, a hundred quadrillion solar masses, and on most days I have difficulty finding my house keys. I cannot com like begin to compare how these two are even able to exist in the same system. It's nuts. It that is it, crazy. It, yeah, a human brain that simultaneously can't find their car keys but can describe an area a billion light years across. Yeah. It's the same chunk of meat. Pretty amazing. Have you read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach. Check your screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Crowdfunding update for September 6, 2014, 52,804,000 plus. I'm being fitted for that wig on Tuesday, so let's hurry up, people. Get to 53 million and the Independent Arbitrators Guild, 589,000 plus. This is... What? Five, eight, yeah, 589,000. That is a 50,000 jump from last week. I went back and rechecked the last three shows we did. 525, 532... 538, 589. So I think the takeaway is that CIG needs to go to Dragon Con and PAX Prime every week. I think that's what they need to do. Uh, on the flip side, there was only a 4,000 jump from uh, 444,000 to 448,000 members of the UEE fleet, well below the usual rate of one ship purchase for every two user registrations. So maybe the jump is some sort of error database reclassification. I don't know, but, but still, wow. Well, Tony's being fitted for his wig on Tuesday, which means that we haven't quite broken through the crowdfunding barrier, so no letter from the chairman. But we do bring you an Arena Commander status update. So a go-slash-no-go meeting was held at CIG, much like when Arena Commander was first being launched. And as you are no doubt aware, it was a no-go for 0 0.9. The team have encountered one too many blockers to release this hotly anticipated title, but have given us a list of all the changes we can expect. So we've had some reveals over the past few weeks from Gamescom and other places, but this is the definitive list. So, we are going to have Murray Cup Racing, Vandal Swarm Co-op, 
flyable M50 and 350R, private matches, friend codes, leaderboards, updated ship performance, a HUD update, new hangars, six degrees of freedom, and the piece de la resistance, a new pause menu. Ooh. You know, there's something that's always bothered me about that pause menu. I don't like the way it tilts. Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope they get rid of that. I am so it's just, sick of it. It's just kind oh. of annoying. Here, let me remind you that this game is in 3D. <laughs> Let's do it whilst you're okay. wearing an Oculus Rift and really throw off your sense of balance. <laughs> you guys are just too picky, hey. you know that. <laughs> well, hey, 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 hey. We're fans, uh, but we're, we're not going to give you a free pass on everything, all right? I mean, this this pause menu tilting thing has got to go. Okay. Got to, mister. I'm going I'm to be a bit impromptu here. I'm going to attach no? a poll no. to the show post for this. Let us know what you think. Should the tilt menu stay or should the tilt menu go? Because oh. yeah, I think yeah, yeah. the vast know. majority of people would want it to go. Anyway, the pause menu. Yes, that's getting changed. That's all being nicely tweaked out. But what about these other updates? Um, so now that we know everything that is definitively coming with 0.9, what are you guys most looking forward to? Private matches so I can play with my squadron buddies. Hint, hint. Aww. Oh, that's us. Yeah. That's us. That's yes, you. That would be, that would be us. you should respond positively to that comment because that means Jeff wants to, wants to play with you. Well, it means he wants to shoot me. Let's not get, you know, no delusions of friendship here. I know exactly what Jeff wants. So, in fact, having said that, yeah, the friends, the friends code thing is quite cool. Um, I think, you know, we've covered this before. The hangar updates are without a doubt something that I, I'm just going to get a hanger just to walk around in it I'm actually really looking forward to having the six degrees of freedom the ability to strafe in space as it were because um, that's one thing yeah. that I don't like at the moment is that you have to enter decoupled mode in order to vertically raise and lower your ship which just seems a bit weird yeah, when we and we covered last week the the one thing that's not on here which of course is the, the, the controversial you know, no key binding thing but one, adding in that six degrees of freedom, it's another control system almost. It's like you're going to have to relearn how to fly and maneuver your ship because now it's capable of doing things that it wasn't capable of doing before. You can control your ship in a way that wasn't possible to before the patch. And I think that it's going to be somewhat of a shock to some of us who go along with the alpha process, add in these different control schemes, add in these different techniques, these different tactics. And then when you get into the persistent universe or into uh, Squadron 42 and your IFCS system does not allow you to do that, like the base model systems don't have the six degree of freedom feature that you need the higher end avionics package to use, I think that's going to cause some uh, some ire eventually so that the uh, lack of key binding uh, seems to be the tempest in a teacup by comparison. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to going target Lennon. <laughs> Come I on. It. <laughs> you, you, you're just rewarding his cynicism now, Jeff. Don't do that. Hey, there's nothing wrong with cynicism because you are either correct or pleasantly surprised. It's a win-win. That sounds remarkably uncynical. <laughs> it does, true. doesn't it? What am I talking about? <laughs> so do you think the delays to the patch coming out have hurt the game at all? No. They're inevitable. It's going to yeah. happen. Well, like we like we said back in the, I think it was like episode two, possibly episode three, when we did a predictions episode right at the start of the year, we mm. all said that this is going to be a, a trying time for the fans of Star Citizen. You know, there are going to be inevitable delays, inevitable slippages. But I think that the, uh, the backlash on this delay has been a lot less than when Arena Commander was first coming out. Well, there's something to do. Well, that's true. I mean, there is a playable alpha out there. Yeah, it's got rough edges. Yeah, it doesn't work quite the way it's supposed to. Yeah, there's pieces missing of it. Yeah, we also end up running out of an alpha, a pre-alpha, you know. 
I did want to talk about the Murray Cup racing as well. Does anyone actually know what the deal with that is? Is it because we're playing it in Arena Commander, doesn't that make it a simulation of a race and therefore not an actual race? Good point. I don't know. I don't know that anybody's even asked that point yet. Because yeah, it's, it's surely not the real Murray Cup, is it? You know, it's like playing Mario Kart or something like that. Well, I guess you could put it that way, but since they're putting leaderboards in, I would imagine that they're going to make some kind of count. It's a bit of an odd mix. I mean, obviously, they're actually doing it for tech purposes. They need to get all of this stuff in the game, so I can see why they're building it. I'm just wondering, because normally Chris is really good with the in-universe rationale, but if the Murray Cup racing is available in flight sim mode, it kind of seems a bit weird. You know, it's like a World Cup Mario tournament. True. Nah, it's like when you buy the NASCAR 2014 video game. Yeah, but there's global leaderboards. Yeah, because, you know, you log into NASCAR 2014 and you jump onto their, you know, game matching system and you race against your buddies all around the world. The best arena commander racers, you would expect them to want to qualify for the, quote, real Murray Cup system, but those people may not want to give up their day job, which is a pirate or a rescue worker or whatever. They may not have or may not want to risk the credits to race a, quote, real ship. So they may be perfectly happy playing the Arena Commander version of Murray Cup Racing. Kind of like how we don't risk doing actual radio. We just... Right, yeah. We just do it on the internet. Yeah. So much easier. What I wanted to talk about was the numbering system. I'm, I don't like the whole 0.9 is actually release 13 thing anymore. Right. For one thing, having it as 0.9 is too much like we had that discussion the other day about alpha versus beta versus version number versus whatever. Let's just call it release 13 and not specify what number of releases alpha or beta or gold or gold master release candidate or whatever. Release numbers. Let's just call it release 13. Let's just call it release 14. You know, it doesn't bother me what, what they call it as long as it gets released. You know, <laughs> as long as it gets out. <laughs> yeah. They could call this Elite Dangerous and I'd probably still play it. Ooh. Ooh. Sorry, I'll put the gloves back on. There we go. As another month rolls by, we get another monthly report. All the usual teams check in on this month's report, both CIG Austin and Santa Monica Studios, Foundry 42, Behavior, the FPS team, Turbulent, and Moon Collider. And they all tell us what they've been hard at work on. And it's no surprise. It's mainly all features of the Arena Commander 0.9 and the later releases, including multi-crewed multiplayer. So... What do you think? <laughs> yeah, there was some general <laughs> general all-over good stuff in this. I think I think the FPS team are getting a little bit excited now that they've been able to reveal a little bit of their stuff at, at the teaser at Gamescom and then obviously at the upcoming show in PAX Australia. There's a hell of a lot more redacted written in their list. <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed that. And I thought it was quite cool that apparently one particular member of the Star Citizen community uh, found out who the FPS team were, which not really a secret by the way mm, and right. he uh, turned up at their offices and bought them all pizza for doing such a great job so yeah kudos to that guy for doing that that's pretty epic although how funny it's would start, it be it is if he didn't get the right office because nobody knows yeah, which that one would it is great. <laughs> that's a, a gigantic uh, disinformation campaign and, 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 uh, and the wrong team got free pizza out of it that's been wonderful at this point I really do have to sort of wonder why we're still going through the, these motions it's, it seems kind of silly at this point but go ahead, just call it Elphonic. It's Elphonic. Everybody knows now. Just Some guy delivered pizza there, for God's sake. That should be a clear sign that it's time just to come clean with it. The one thing that I liked from the monthly report, though, was the uh, the screenshots that we got off the FPS module and what it looks like on a space station. I really hope that we can own one eventually. 
because he just looks sweet. Well, I mean, I think they talk about being able to capture it if you're, like, an organization. Like, some space stations will be nodes, and they'll be capturable in the Persistent Universe, and you can you can do it that way. Again, I love the game we're building, and I hope that we can manufacture small capital ships and maybe small space stations, too, but I don't. that's not in the cards. Or it's not been announced yet, let's put it that way. Hopefully they're listening to our show and building the game the way we like it. <laughs> well, you know that they are. You know that they are. Oh, sure. All right. Sorry. It's clear. It's abundantly clear. Now, one of the other things they talk about is the localized uh, physics grids, or the artificial gravity, as I like to call it. Because if you didn't need localized gravity or artificial gravity, you wouldn't need localized physics. It would just be physics. But again, we saw the Gamescom reveal. It looks like they've got the interior of the Constellation kind of figured out. And that might also explain one of my rants about the whole uh, uh, you know, turret on the bottom. Why don't they just have it so that your Millennium Falcon style, you know, flip the artificial gravity around? You would then need two localized physics grids for a Connie. You'd have to have the, the ship itself and then the turret gravity area too. So I guess there's a programming reason uh, why you'd have to do it that way. Uh, zero one two zero. Yep, that's my favorite number. You know what my favorite number is? Eight ninety. I still want one. I don't care <laughs> that it looks like an Imperial destroyer. The screenshots that were released of it, though, I don't know if you've noticed the the lounge area that they've got um, is just a, a tiny, tiny part of the overall thing. I mean, this thing is going to be massive. When you look at it, you can see the windows that make up just one very tiny balcony when you're looking at the whole ship, which is an entire lounge in the blown up thing. So, yeah, they say it's going to be You know what else was huge and had a lot of windows? You know what else was huge and had a lot of windows? The Death Star? An Imperial Star Destroyer. Ah, that's true. See, Christmas is coming up, and all I want for Christmas is my Phoenix upgrade, so... Around the Verse Episode 12 has been released, giving us the best from around the Star Citizen community and letting us get one step closer to the devs. Making the game this week, aside from the usual assortment of news from around the Verse, the show featured a small talk with Travis Day about everyone's favorite topic, the ship stats. Travis says the ship pipeline is being improved, so mistakes like having too large a number of hard points or weapons or thrusters, etc. doesn't happen. The M50 is the first ship to go through this new pipeline with a Mustang to follow. The new pipeline will start at the concept stage, that the concept artists know the size and metrics of the ships, so that the concept art models will allow space for the proper equipment, and then, of course, all the uh, damage textures and, and uh, break-apart models that, that flow from that. CIG will always strive for balance, even if it means changing the ship significantly. This takes me back to the days uh, of an old game, Starfleet Command, uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. You could actually get into the back end of it and hack out the spreadsheet, hack out the database that said how where the hard points were located at and, and what was on it and how many weapons it had and how much power it had. And uh, it all starts with the spreadsheet. It all starts with the numbers and making sure that, you know, you have the number. Of, when you start with a tiny ship, it has tiny weapons and, and small power. And then you get to the big ship, and then you got to hit all the points in between. So it's that finding that range and sticking to it is real important. I'm wondering why they didn't have this already. Yeah, the thing that I'm kind of a little bit concerned about is that I know that we've been over it before and we've even asked it as a community question, you know, do you back to get a ship or do you back just to pledge to help build the game? And most people pledge to help build the game, but they do like to get a certain thing back, you know, as a, as a thank you for... My thing with the upgrades on the Constellation. Your thing I fell victim upgrade. to it too. Yes, yes, I know. But uh, unfortunately, your soapbox is broke this week, so we won't be able to Damn get it. it out. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But aside from little things like the upgrades on the Constellation, 
it kind of, I think, puts it in a bit of an awkward position because if you take things like the Retaliator, which is a long-distance bomber, when you look at all the stats of everything, you know, the Retaliator is supposed to have an exponential number of missiles more right. than the next model. And like we've said on the show before, I think it was you actually that brought it up, the missiles thing is just so unknown that we don't know if that's going to be a massively overpowered ship or a massively underpowered ship. But yeah. the problem that I find is that it's being sold as a, this is a ship that has twice as much firepower as the next available unit. And so I'm wondering if this will lead to ships effectively being oversold. Features have been promised that on paper sounded good that like ah uh, you know the the aurora is half the speed of a hornet or whatever but when it actually comes to doing it that would mean the hornet was a speed of x and if the aurora was half of x it just becomes unflyable so they have to bump it up and you know where does this shuffling of ship stats end and i understand why it's important that cig will strive for balance because that's what makes the game well balanced you know that's what makes it fun to play and enjoyable nobody wants to be going up against something that's overpowered but if that results in changing all the ships significantly what does this mean for the people who backed in the early days and were not necessarily demanding hard points on a connie but having a preconceived idea that oh my connie will be able to do this it will be able to do that because it's very upgradable it's very adaptable and now you know if it gets changed completely and the role effectively becomes, oh, it's nothing more than a cargo runner. Why did you buy a Connie? Now, as, as I do not like to throw this in your faces all the time, I am a golden ticket holder. Oh, you, you do sort of enjoy it, though. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> so <laughs> so originally, I, I the reason I had that is because I believed in the game and I backed it because I wanted to support it. What got to be confusing later is when all these ships and hangars and other modules came out and what you were entitled to and what you were not entitled to. And it all got very convoluted early on. It, it straightened itself out since then. So it's it's not confusing now. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's any, any confusion there. But I agree with Lennon on this point that, you know, I bought the Connie knowing that the Connie was going to be this very cool multi-person multi-buddy ship that we were going to go you know rescue people and fight off pirates and and now i've got to choose variants now i'm not really too upset about it but it does make me go hmm do they not have enough money and they have to do these kind of things to make even more so i'm going to pick that up jeff and i'm going to run with it a little farther i think that the introduction of variants is a way to inject more cash into the game to further improve that whole perfect price discrimination uh, among the backers that are already backed and among new customers to the game i think that's part of it i think the other part of it is is that as they started with the spreadsheet, and the, because they're starting with the Mustang and the M50, that's very interesting to me. The Aurora's already out there. It was one of the very first ships that was ever out there, one of the, like, you know, it's the baseline, right? That's like the bottom of the spreadsheet. The M50 and the Mustang are the next up from the bottom. The M50 is the smallest origin ship, and the Mustang, as we as has been said in the fiction, is the competitor to the, the Aurora, essentially. So they're starting just now, here, two years into the evolution of the game, defining the bottom of the spreadsheet. And then somewhere up at the top, there's the Bengal-class carrier, just, you know, way up over there. And they have nailed down or staked out very little of the middle part, very little of the medium part of the spreadsheet. So I would not be surprised 
to see the stats that we know and hold dear on our Connies change yet again. And probably one more time even after that, before we get to the, quote, beta stage, whatever that is. The fact that they're doing this now as they learn what systems are going to have to be in there, how heavy a pipe is, how hot a reactor gets, how much a missile warhead weighs. They're just now understanding what their spreadsheet needs to look like in terms of the top of the range, the bottom of the range, and they're going to have to fill it in this first time slowly as they actually create the ships, and then they're going to have to do at least one huge balance pass, if not two. So whatever you think your expectations are about what your ship is, throw them out the window. It's gone. I mean, whatever you thought your ship was going to have on it, you know, the art will give you a clue, but they'll change the art if they need to. But now it's time for... News News. News. Quiet, quiet, keep it down. Shh. Shh. Oh, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> but now it's time for... News News. News. Opie.net Merc for all your literary military needs. A special edition of Five for the Chairman telling us about inventory, durability, and caterpillar modules. And Orbital Supermax Episode 10 leaves us all with just one question. What does she need to know? And of course, we can't be forgetting this week's community question. Do you believe that some ships in the game have now been oversold stats-wise? Is there a ship that you feel should be more or less powerful than it actually looks like it's going to be? Let us know by commenting on this week's show post on GuardFrequency.com or over on our show's weekly thread at RobertSpaceIndustries.com. And now you're all caught up with everything happening around the verse. Let's find out what we can about the Tavarin in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Greetings, citizens, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets, where we like to delve into the guts of Star Citizen and give you all the illuminated details from the inside out. A warning up front, this game is still in active development, so anything we say is subject to change. This week, humanity's third interstellar contact and the first interstellar enemy, the Tavaran. The United Planets of Earth, the predecessor to the Empire, first established contact with the Tavarin in 2541. Whilst not as technologically advanced as us, the Tavarin were beginning to strike out into the universe. A proud, martial society, they wanted what we had and they struck first. And while the battlegrounds never threatened Earth or Terra, what the Tavarin lacked in technology they more than made up for in strategic brilliance and endurance, causing the war to last over four years. The turning point was the infamous Battle of Idris IV, where a young officer by the name of Ivan Messer rose to fame and quickly became known amongst the UPE. After the Tavaran defeat, the UPE terraformed the Tavaran systems for human colonization. The remaining Tavaran were either absorbed into the UPE or fled to the Banu or Xi'an systems. Fifty years later, a new Tavaran warlord, Korath Thal, emerged from the corners of the cosmos with a freshly rebuilt Tavaran battle fleet and launched his first attack against what had now become the United Earth Empire. Their sole mission was to reclaim Elysium IV, their former homeworld. While it was a sympathetic cause that some humans could support, the UEE wasn't about to give up territory. This war lasted seven years and touched almost every corner of the UEE. On August 2nd, 2610, SET, Korath Thal suffered a catastrophic defeat at the hands of Squadron 42 at the Battle of Centauri. 
With his fleet rapidly falling to either destruction or surrender, Corathal mustered his remaining loyal pilots to make a desperate charge for Elysium IV. Although they suffered over 70% more casualties, his fleet finally reached the atmosphere of their old home world. Corathal and his pilots lowered their thermal shields and drove for the planet. With this second defeat, the spirit of the Tavaran race was irrevocably broken. Emperor Messer II used the victory to cement his place as ruler of the newly Christian United Empire of Earth. The Tavarian was somewhere between a feudalistic society and an oligarchy. The military ran everything. The only way to upgrade your station in life was to distinguish yourself in combat. But that being said, those not in the military weren't just ignored. Since everybody contributed to the system, everybody was cared for. Some fought whilst others farmed. The highest title available was Warlord. It sounds a lot more violent than it actually was. The Tavarian were not a bloodthirsty race. They simply honoured the art of war. Fast forward to the present, well, Chris Roberts' version of the present anyway, and there is no longer a Tavaran government or civilization, as the race has been fully annexed into the UEE. A few Tavaran have been granted citizenship as a display of tolerance by the Empire, but these are comparatively few. So after hundreds of years of failed campaigns, there is a sadness and anger through most of the Tavarin, a melancholy that their species is on the decline. After their planet was lost, many Tavarin channeled their aggressive nature into addictions and violence. As a result, Tavarian mercenaries are noted for their ruthlessness and utter lack of fear. Gone are the honor-bound spiritual warriors of the old, the killers are all that remain. Again, and then we're talking about like broad strokes here, the you know, fall of the Roman Empire type things, you know, and pulling stuff from history. I mean, Rome conquered a, you know, a lot of people, and uh, some of these people had been conquered before by other empires. Some of these were, you know, this is the first time they'd had a, some sort of far-flung civilization tell them what to do. So I think this is an important type of alien to have in there, the conquered and defeated and absorbed former enemy. Yeah. So. But I think the one really exciting thing about all of this is that they are such a beaten species, and yet there's that Tavaran factory that mm-hmm. was announced mm-hmm. as one of the stretch goals. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, is there going to be an internal uprising? Is there going to be a rebellion? I guess we'll have to wait and see. I guess, I guess so. so. Hey. Well, next week we want you to pick the topic, and so we're running another ship poll. Be sure to head on over to our show post at godfreemacy.com forward slash 037 and vote for what you want us to talk about next week on Nuggets for Nuggets. Are you new to the verse and need a bit of advice? Is there a tidbit of lore some sit or sib taught you that we should all know? Let us know by dropping us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! From our show post at GuardFrequency.com, Osteron writes, You guys always renew my excitement for this game with your speculation and theory crafting. Keep up the good work. I initially thought the Silver Tang thing was referencing a derelict ship that had been discovered, created by someone who had it in a remote location. But based on your evidence, I've swung around to your way of thinking. I love that post because it suggested that the job boards aren't going to be standard lists of jobs. Some of them may be system slash NPC generated, but still not be obvious as to their intent or details. And we, as players, would have to do some digging to figure out what, if any, deeper motives and tasks lie under the surface. Of course, there will probably be some mundane jobs left in for players can't do anything with, i.e. Tony Sanitation Worker selling a remaindered hot tub pulled out of a crash Connie Phoenix. It's not a bad idea, a derelict ship. That's a 
perfectly good alternative theory. I don't abandon it. Yeah. It could be. This comment sparked a lot of thought with me here, too. There's the job boards thing. Yes, absolutely. Some of them are just going to be take this cargo from point A to point B. Some of them are going to be take this cargo from point A to point B, and there's going to be some terrible thing in the cargo pod that makes you, you know, get jumped by some gang trying to steal it from you. River Tam, for example. Oh, yeah, from Firefly. Yes. It took me a second there. Yes, yeah. Could, yeah, River Tam could be in one of them. But, you know, we'll have to get Summer Glow in for a mocap session on that one, probably. But the other thing that's interesting to me is that the concept of salvage, derelict ship being out there and stuff, I was pondering the economics model of Star Citizen. I know, big shocker. I was thinking, what would be the Star Citizen equivalent of a lockbox? Hopefully no, nothing. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This isn't bad. Salvage coordinates. There's an NPC that'll give you salvage coordinates, and sometimes you find something awesome, and sometimes you find something meh. And you can pay in-game money for it, but there may be ways of getting real-world money to convert no, to No, 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 no. In Stowe, a lockbox is almost immediate, and you pay online cash for the key to open up that lockbox, and the rewards are instantaneous. I am not going to go out on the speculation that somebody gives me a salvage that in quadrant XYZ and go out there and see if there's something worthwhile. I, I, I'm sorry, I just not. I think it's a waste of my time. Like I said, I, there, this, there's a lot of good feedback in, in this post, and thanks, Osteron, for writing in because a lot of good stuff there. Feel free to continue the discussion. From the RSI forum post, we hear from Kaloran Cree from the Spa Wars Arizania Estelar organization, and he says, Thanks, guys. Keep up the amazing work. From my email, schoolcardfrequency.com, Crow writes in and says, I'm not interested in the community question this week, so instead you get my thoughts on everything else. Well, good enough. <laughs> good right. enough for us. Yeah, we'll take it okay, all. Four bits of feedback. So, number one. On AI NPCs, I suspect that there are probably far more than just 10 types in the overall economy plan. I think that the AI goal is to specifically flesh out these particular types so that they are interactive in the game rather than just showing their efforts indirectly on the economy. I wouldn't be surprised mm -hmm. if they didn't have a couple hundred or more different jobs as part of the economy modeling and that down the road we'll probably see more and more of them as interactive AI in the game itself. Yes. Yes, we agree. Krell's smart. Mm. Point two, minor feedback. Not really about the content of the show, but about the format itself. The music you guys are using behind the news we didn't use segment is a little too loud for those of us who no longer have the hearing of a teenager. Well, this week, you know, we've taken on board your feedback and uh, they told me to shut up. And point number three, he says, as far as the mature themes, Americans for some reason have a problem with sexuality but are perfectly fine with violence. Frankly, it's a little strange. Showing boobies would be awful unless they're being shot off weird <gasps> he then goes on to say i suppose crg could add a this account is owned by a minor checkbox that's controlled by a parent so that the minor couldn't walk into a strip club etc i think if that was to be put in that would mix with some very interesting hacking yeah it would it would you know america is founded by puritans plain and simple we have these weird 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 things about sex it's always bothered me that there can't be more enlightenment in the world but um you know he's absolutely right we are a violent country absolutely violent we can't even decide on the proper gun laws and it's not so much that we can't handle it it's just that we can't handle it well it's like people that aren't exposed to drinking or have never taken a drink before their 21st birthday and then they go and get absolutely hammered you know because it's been forbidden for so long and now we just do it to excess video games like uh, we can get away with things in video games if we're willing to take the mature stamp if, as long as we're willing to take that ESRB rating we can do whatever we want and so we're just going to do everything and same with the gore 
war and the violence. We can just we can do whatever we want. And so, well, you just if you handle it right, yeah, it doesn't you have can. to be in your face. It doesn't have to be in your face. You know, you just have to handle it correctly. But we're like, you know, a lot of video game manufacturers are they're not just like teenagers. Some of them actually are barely out of their teens, and they just go overboard on it, or they do it because they're trying to stick out above the crowd and trying to get some extra press. And this game doesn't need it. I'm not interested in seeing it. I think that if you do too much of it, you're going to unnecessarily restrict your audience on the on the younger side of it. And you're going to drive some people on the older side of it to be like, mm, you're just trying to be sensationalist. Middle of the road, between PG-13 and R, I think the way they've decided to go with it is good. And finally, he goes on to say that if there is not a corporate Raiders bit in the next episode, you are all going on my list. <laughs> Ooh. That was a threat, loud and clear. We complied, sir. We complied. Don't shoot. Yeah, because, I mean, the last thing you would want is for that captain to kill-haul you and strap your body to the underside of the <laughs> ship and drag your belly through the vacuum of space. From Twitter, Ken from Chicago. Great idea. Hashtag Star Citizen. Hangar main display. Top racers slash bounties slash commodities slash passengers, etc. Really like the game that we're building. What can I say? We do. Mm. This, again, Jeff, this was a brilliant suggestion, and if there's one thing that they take away from our show, they need to do I, this. I would agree. I thought about it after I came up with it last week, and I'm going, you know what? That really needs to be put in the game. And from Permanent Starlight, at Guard Freak, looks like it was a productive Reddit thread. Looking forward to hearing the breakdown and discussion on Guard Frequency. No. No. Absolutely not. I am never doing that ever, ever, <laughs> ever again. <laughs> never. 103 comments later, and not all of them mine, by the way. I am never, ever doing that ever again. It consumed an entire afternoon, and I went back to it. You know that XKCD cartoon where um, uh, there's, like, a guy and a computer, and uh, somebody comes up behind him and says, Hey, honey, it's really late. You ought to go to bed. And the guy's, like, going... But the balloon above his head, it says, not now, honey. Someone on the internet is wrong. That was me. It consumed an entire afternoon. I got nothing done at work that afternoon that I put that up on Reddit at lunch, during my lunch hour. Never again. Never, never, ever again. That was my Reddit adventure. I'm not not going back. I can't handle it. I think, I just, I think I just for next can't. week, though, we should take your Reddit adventure and we should give a condensed version in the show somewhere just for those who haven't had a chance to go and see it and digest it. And from our amazing donors of monetary goodness, Anonymous donates to us $10. Thanks, Anonymous. You are Yay, you, thank you. You have such a bad rap as being a hacker group, but you are such cool guys. Yeah. And here's a reminder of this week's community question. Do you believe that some ships have been oversold stat-wise? Is there a ship that you feel should be more or less Uber than it looks like it's going to be? Let us know by commenting on this week's show post on GuardFrequency.com or over our, on our show's weekly thread at RobertSpaceIndustries.com. So, how was the show? Easy to understand and comprehend, or was it cryptic like a Silver Tang post on Craigslist? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com, and you can subscribe to us at feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute, tell us what's on your mind. But one last thing before we go, we want to tell you that Guard Frequency is still planning to head deep into the dev's lair as Lennon gets sent off to Manchester. Lennon, are you still on that uh, mission there? Yep, we just need to make our calendars line up. That's all. Alrighty. Well, we want to take your questions with us. If you think of anything that has to do with ships or the Squadron 42 game, capital vessels, or anything in the ship pipeline, send it over to us. We'll uh, make sure that we pose it to Aaron and his team over there. 
get in touch with us on our threads, write us an email. However, we just got finished telling you in the feedback loop. And that brings us to the end of episode 37 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 38 on September 16th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fansite subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can contact us via the forum on our website. All the details, of course, for the ways you can get in touch with us will be in our show notes. Do you like what we do? Want to come and help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. Hey, are you looking for a friendly wingman? Maybe two. Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday night, you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com slash live. We start recording around 8 p.m. Central. That's 2 a.m. on Sunday GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Shivery Bean Lomaster, our artist, Simon Chilton Edwards, and our assistant audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank all you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. I feel I have to say this, and this is probably going to get cut, but I'm going to kick myself for it. Every week I try to come up with episode titles. Uh, last week's was Budum Tish because of all the jokes. How did I miss with the silver tank? How did I miss fish and ships? Oh my god, I almost snorted coffee. Oh. <sighs> all right. In fact, that's what I'm going to call yeah, this one. Was... It won't make sense, but that's what I'm going to call it. It won't make sense, but but yeah, dude, go, go ahead and leave, go ahead and leave your go comment in, the in there so people understand. Yeah, oh yes. yeah. And from our Guard Frequency Facebook page, from Twitter, Ken from Chicago. Oh, just to start oh. with from Twitter. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just reading the next lines. You know me, I just follow along. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. To you, San Diego. <laughs> Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the fi- At the fish. At the fish. Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the fish. Fish dance, fish dance. Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, roberts.spaceindustries.goose. <laughs> okay, here we go. Have you read, seen, or heard something you might be interested You might be interesting. You might be interesting to other citizens and civilians, but we'll never know because you don't have your own podcast. Ah, shut it. All right. Is men as fortunate like us? No. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> That's, I'm supposed to choke during my... Uh... <laughs> Uh, when I'm the director of the thing, no, no I'm not the pirate. <laughs>